Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to Episode 8 of Location Matters. My name is Adam Mullet. I'm the Marketing Manager here at NGIS. And today I'm joined by Richard Bentley, Executive Director, and Paul Farrell, Managing Director. Now, before we begin the podcast, I just want to let you know that we are now on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and we are on Stitcher. So if you're looking for a place to subscribe other than coming to our website, head to those services and sign up. All right, so today is about trends of location intelligence in 2018, and we're going to be discussing a white paper that was produced by Carto um, using Hanover Research. And I picked out a few statistics, and I'm going to put them to both directors here today to really get an idea about what is location intelligence and what are the trends that we're seeing now and what we expect to see going into the future. So, Paul, I'm going to start with you. Location intelligence, it's going mainstream. In the white paper, it says that 55% of respondents say they are very or extremely familiar with location intelligence in a business context. Do you see this reflected in the Australian industry? Um, yeah, look, I have a view on location intelligence. Uh, the the statistics say fifty five percent. I would have it. I would say that we have been locationally intelligent for a long, long time as a society, for many hundreds or thousands of years, way back to cave paintings that were discovered in Europe. 17,000 years ago, which they discovered were uh, paintings of the, the, the sky and the stars in the skies as, as a form of navigation all the way through to Aboriginal communities here who used to tell their stories through maps and song merged together. It's all about being locationally intelligent. So I, I think with those some of the definitions of location intelligence, they're viewing it very much in the modern sense of location intelligence that sits on a computer. But I would put it out there that most of society is locationally intelligent right now. Richard? Yeah, I sort of agree with Paul uh, to an extent. I mean, you're talking about location awareness, I think, as well as location intelligence. And you missed a, an easy one, which was farming. You know, the father's handing his farm down to his son. He knows what, what to plant and where to plant it and what's, what's good farming and what's bad farming. But for me, it's sort of um, the question, I suppose, is um, I think there are parts of our industries that are more advanced than others. You know, like agriculture has come a long way, like using the farming analogy, that precision agriculture, you know, where to plant, when to plant, how to plant. Um, And also uh, I suppose the mining industry has been a leader in the use of, you know, analogue maps, let's call them, uh, and then, you know, coming through and pushing that information into the digital age. Digital age really only gives us the ability to use more complex queries, uh, ask more complex questions over a, a vast array of data sets. Yes. I, look, I think what we're actually talking about is not actually location intelligence. I think we've had location intelligence for a long time, but the speed to get that location intelligence has dramatically um, quickened 
through some of these computer techniques. I think the other thing that has really assisted us be more locationally intelligent is we're all carrying around a device that has a GPS uh, uh, implement in it, and we are locationally intelligent and collecting location data without actually knowing it. And so we're using that information. Our businesses are using this information. Actually, the people that supply the phones are getting this information as well. So I think it's not location intelligence per se. It's actually the speed to get that location intelligence and the richness and the accuracy of that through computerized techniques. But you've also got a clinometer and you've got an accelerometer in there as well. So it sort of can understand what activity you're undertaking while you're at a particular location, not just your location anymore. You might be, you might have just dropped your phone or you might be decelerating very quickly in a vehicle. There are all those sorts of things as well. So there's lots of other information we can glean from the, you know, the simple uh, smartphone. But back to the question itself, you know, how many boardrooms around Australia do you think are actually using location intelligence, using a map to make decisions? Uh, More and more. It's becoming more and more prevalent. But I don't think it's changed too much. Uh, It it might be that it's coming from other, um, other... it might be coming in other forms, but way back in the day, uh, even though it's not in a computer form, um, the, the the end product when we were working for mining companies back 20, 30 years ago was a map that used to sit on the boardroom wall that the, the, the managing director or CEO would point to when he's giving his board presentation. So I still think, even though it's in a different form, location intelligence was part of boardroom life back then too. Now... In the research, it says that, you know, while more than half of organisations say they're familiar with location intelligence, only 17% report using data for conducting spatial analysis. Why is there a disconnect between these two figures? Look, I think it's um, understanding what the business is actually collecting itself. And a lot of a lot of organisations didn't realise they were collecting location-based information. You know, they were treating their customers as customers, not as a customer where they were located, how they were connected to other, other customers, um, you know, the catchment area for those customers, those sorts of things. So now we can start to slice and dice the information in different, in different ways. So just, uh, I suppose that's giving us our firmer graphics that we're, that we're looking at. So Instead of, um, you know, the the patch of a sales guy being, you know, northwest New South Wales, it might be um, all telecommunications organisations um, that have a 5G network um, in the metropolitan area within, you know, 300 metres of a freeway. You know, so it can be... Uh, it can be really tailored to a specific uh, speciality for that particular salesperson. Okay, so Richard's posited there that it's um, a lack of awareness about the fact they're collecting spatial data. I mean, is that it? Is that the only thing that people are missing to make these spatial, you know, analyses? I would say it's two other. Uh, there's a few other things there as well. I think we spend there's a propensity to spend a lot of time collecting data and not analysing it. We're comfortable in that space. That comes from a, a usually from a lack of direction from high above as to what is the actual problem and what are the questions being a- answered. So we, we tend to spend a lot more time collecting data r- rather than analysing it. I actually think there's also this, this um, term called data obesity where we're becoming fat with data. 
And just handling that become is an enormous task and it overwhelms uh, organisations that have limited finite capacity in this space so they don't have time to do space. And I also think the third thing is it's it's got to be a conscious effort to stop doing uh, low-value stuff and doing high-value stuff. And the, the high-value stuff is the spatial analysis and insight gathering exercises so it's a conscious effort to pivot away from data capture low value to high value spatial analysis i mean a lot of companies have dirty data you know they or or dark data where they don't know if it's good quality they don't know um, if it's up to date i mean the research shows that 49 percent of uh, organizations say they struggle with ensuring data quality and accuracy you know why i think there's uh there's a few reasons why you know um First of all, the business has got to collect data that it needs to support the questions that it wants to answer. So that's getting past this data obesity that Paul was talking about. So you, you don't collect a whole bunch of data that's not necessarily going to support what the business needs to know about itself. Then capturing the data at point of truth. So here I am now, this is where I need to capture my information and be able to apply that straight into a data structure which is um, defined by the business, so you can manage it. And then it's held as a single point of truth in the business. So there's only one one repository that the data is held in. I mean, define data structures, Paul. Do, do most companies have these? Uh, a, a, lot, a lot don't. Uh, some do. But if I go back to the question you're asking, which is around data quality, I think, again... What, what happens here is um, upfront data quality requirements are not defined. So what then happens is sometimes you go over the top in terms of your data quality requirements and you have um, the people that are very particular about accuracy unnecessarily dominating conversation. <laughs> when <laughs> Richard said surveyors. I'm not a surveyor, so I won't say that. And I don't want to offend the, the but but in some cases in some cases you do need a lot of accuracy, but in a lot of cases you don't. It's relative positioning, it's get me in the general direction, my eyeballs will take over after that. Um, so it's it's actually upfront understanding what is the data quality requirements for a particular task, and then and then matching matching that. Mm. So I think I think we really struggle with that. All right, moving on. There's a need or a perceived need for real time data. That is data that is produced now and can be used now. Forty percent of the respondents in the uh, white paper from Cardo said that they are challenged by getting real-time data. I mean, what are the available options to them? And before we even answer that, do you need real-time data? Again, it's what sort of question are you trying to answer? What sort of information do you want to capture and why do you want to capture it? I mean, you're holding a smartphone right now. It's it's streaming data all of the time uh, about where it is, what it's doing, who's using it, what that person's accessing. Um, are they all needed by the business that the the person is employed by? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's there's some thoughts that uh, you know you're getting a, a data stream, and we don't actually uh, collect or store any of that data because it's a continuous, like an Internet of Things style data stream where you're just picking samples to give you a valid understanding of what data is actually being uh, being produced. So I think. 
the the smartphone is is ubiquitous and it's the uh, it's the way that we're going to collect that data what do you think paul i i think um answering this question question is in you, you look at the word intelligence and intelligence is many things intelligence can be within the incident or, or an activity it can be in planning something happening or it can be after an event the incident has many so if you're in an event yes real time is a requirement so for example in the traffic space if you're managing a um, incident uh, uh, management facility which clears the roads and looks after accidents on the road yes you want your information real time because minutes count but if you're in a planning thing where you're looking at long-term uh, traffic congestion um, issues and looking to uh, invest in the network to make sure travel time journeys where minutes are, are cut off. Well, real time is not necessarily required. It's it's you need a log of information, but you don't necessarily need that real time. So I think it, again, like Richard said, it's about what the requirement is and and what what the time frame is in terms of requirements for data to come through. All right, so the most common uses for location data in organizations were, number one, identifying new customer markets, number two, improving marketing, and number three, improving customer service, all very closely related to the realm of marketing. You know, what are some other ways that organizations can use data? I think they've missed the number one use case for location data and location intelligence, and it's the same use case that's been there since 17,000 years ago and it's called navigation and uh, I think this is what happens we get tied up in, in knots around this term location intelligence and forget fundamentally what location data is used for and number one use case is navigation so that might be navigating to a office it might be navigating to a customer but I think for a long time moving forward, that will be the number one use case. Surely we can do more than navigation these days in 2018, Richard. Look, I mean, I sort of agree and I disagree a little bit with, uh, with Paul on the lo uh, location intelligence side of things where navigation, uh, sure, I think navigation, yep. But if you're, if you're overlaying it with, um, you know, uh, ways... So like potholes, speed cameras, uh, traffic congestion, those sort of things. Then we're starting to get into location intelligence rather than just straight, I can get from point A to point B, but it might take me six hours to do it. Um, or it might include a swim, you know, because we're on one side of the Swan River in Perth and we need to get to the other side. Um, that's still going to get us there in a navigational sense, but we like to use a bridge because we're in a car. If we're in a boat, then we like a like the uh, the water so i think there's sort of like levels of uh, location intelligence at its most basic yes i think navigation left right turn you know getting us on a network is one thing but it's it's using all of those other bits that make it uh, a rich experience and a pleasant experience and not be you know stuck in traffic um you know caught in the middle of a mardi gras uh you know any sort of social event that might be happening on at that time you know million paws walk that sort of stuff. So we want to stay away from that, those areas or a, or a marathon that we got caught in, in in Madrid. All right, well, let's give our listeners some advice here. You know, they're in an organisation. What do companies need to do in order to bridge the gap and actually start using location data? 
number one is to start using it. Um, I know that sounds obvious, but within it, within organisations, what I see a lot is location information and data being collected, analysed, and and staying silent and anonymous within an organisation and not available to the people that need it. So number one thing I would advise is find out where your location data is, as rough and rusty as it may be, and get it out there and get it used by by people. And don't be overly worried about... uh, Accuracy. There, there is some requirements with some things to, to make sure it's it's the right, true representation of the data, but it's not necessarily the case with all of them. And get it out there and get get it used in, in the hands of the people that are going to make decisions using it. Yeah, I mean, I back Paul up on that. I suppose probably to go a little bit further, you know, understand what information we're capturing now in the business. So, you know, brushing off the data and getting it out there. Understanding what sort of questions we need answered uh, in the business see where that gap is between the data and the answers that we need and what information we need to capture to bridge that gap, then we need the people with the right skills to actually understand and and to model and to, I suppose, mine that data in, uh, for want of a better term. And then it's using um, the correct tools and software that actually gets it, like Paul says, gets it out to everybody so they can actually share that knowledge across the business. And everybody can uh, slice and dice it in different ways and they'll look at it in different, in different ways, just as we all look at problem solving in different, from different perspectives. Well, thank you both for joining us on the podcast today. The white paper itself can be downloaded from our website under technology and then Kato and the menu system. And as I mentioned earlier, if you want to subscribe to our podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or to Stitcher. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.